So um, it's interesting. God is, is good. He doesn't, he makes you, um, he keeps every lesson truly authentic by letting you live it. I was really excited because two weekends ago, I was doing a retreat on victory. That, I mean, it was like the last retreat after doing four retreats. I've been on the road every weekend. I've been leaving right after Joyful Life and flying out someplace. And I'm, I'm tired, okay? I'm too old for this, I realized too. I need to get a golden doodle and just stay home. I keep telling that to Brian, that a golden doodle will help me to stay home. Anyway, he, um, so I was on the road. So I go up to these women. This is like two weeks before the retreat because I know I have two more weeks of retreats to do. One, it was on Proven. The other one was on Seasons. That was an interesting one. And so I said to this girl, I said, now how, how, tell me again what your theme is. And she's like, victory. And I'm like, victory? I get to speak on victory? Because <laughs> I get to live it, Right. And so I was really excited about that retreat. What's hilarious about that retreat is I thought I was speaking three times, right? And I get there and I'm like, I'm looking at the schedule. I'm like, oh, I'm speaking four times. And my friend comes to me. She's like, Cheryl, did you realize you're speaking four times? And I'm like, no. But interestingly enough, I had, um, we had, Brian's been renting out our rooms for free lately and, uh, it's literally crazy because he'll just say, oh, so-and-so staying with us. Oh, didn't I tell you? Then the other day, last week, he goes, Cheryl, come out here a second. So I go out and he goes, this is Josh. I'm like, hi, Josh. He goes, Josh is going to be living with us. Oh, okay. Because what can you say? Uh, no, not in front of him. He's looking at me like, it's great. I could, I'm going to be your new son. You're like, <laughs> we don't have a kitchen in our house right now either, which is really hilarious. Um, so, you know, life is good. So... This is all to say, it's, it's, I don't know what it's all to say. Let's get on with the message. <laughs> oh, I, we had Dave Sylvester been staying with us and he's in my kitchen. He's telling me what a blessing, Second Chronicles chapter 20 and all the things that the Lord had been ministering to him. And I was thinking to myself, I'm speaking on victory and I'm not doing Second Chronicles chapter 20. I need to teach Second Chronicles 20. And the whole way on the airplane to Arizona, I'm thinking, I should be teaching 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I told my friend in the car, if I was going to do a fourth Bible study, I would do 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And that's why she came to me going, you are doing a fourth. I'm like, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 20, which I got to teach. And then I'm telling Joni this. And she's like, Cheryl, my study, my last study is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm like, yes, that means God means it for me. Because any repetition means it's mine. And I claim it, but you can claim it too, because I share. So I want to talk to you because in, in Romans chapter five, it's about reigning in life. And I love the way Paul puts it in verse 17. Much more, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign, not should reign, not could reign, but will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. This is about reigning in life. You see, faith brings us into the abundant life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have that more abundantly. You see, too often we live under our circumstances and we let life 
weigh us down. As we get to Romans chapter 12, verse two, Paul is going to say, and I'm going to use the NLT, quit letting the world press you in to its form. Quit letting the world oppress you by what it gets oppressed by. Quit letting the world dictate how you're gonna feel or how you're gonna live. Because we are meant to reign through life. We are meant to have the abundant life. We do not live under our burdens because we are to cast every burden on Jesus Christ. We are not to live as victims in this life, but as victors through our trials. We are not to live in doubt of God's love for us, but in the security that we are absolutely loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way we are meant to live. We are meant to reign in life much more, much more, much more. Why? Because faith brings us into these great benefits. Faith brings us into peace with God, passageway into God's grace, productivity in every trial. And this is where the alliteration stops. Rejoicing, security, and victory. I couldn't find P words for those. What is a P word for rejoicing? Perpetual joy? I don't know. Praise, yeah, but this is like, this is like that inward joy, but praise is good. We often live under things because we do not realize the victory has already been won. It's already been accomplished. So many times we're trying to win victories for Jesus. We go independent. We go rogue. You know, like, that's all right, Jesus. I got this one for you. And we go out and we do this for the Lord. I'll never forget when we were living in our little house in Huntington, we had a a room that was, um, I think it was nine by nine. And we put a queen size bed in it. And the, I had gotten those little tables that were particle board on the top. Remember those with the three legs that screwed in and you put the uh, cloth over them? Those of you who lived through the 80s, you remember those? If you were poor. And uh, the lip came over on our bed. And this one night, Brian and I were sleeping and we heard something in the house. And I remember Brian jumped up just immediately and went searching throughout the house to find whatever it was. At the time, uh, Char had just been born, so I had a two-year-old and a little baby. So the next night, I was up and I was nursing Char, and um, Brian was asleep, and all of a sudden, his hand went out, and he hit the lamp and the table right there. And as fast as he hit it, he jumps out of bed like this, and he says, I heard it! And he goes running out of the room. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, it was him. It was him all the time. We're totally safe. There's no burglar. There's nobody coming in our house. So he runs down the hall that way. And then pretty soon he's running past the door going, I'm going to find them. And he's, you know, he just keeps running back and forth. And I'm just laughing so hard. I can't tell him it was you. You did that. Finally, he comes in. He goes, I didn't see anybody. I'm like, Brian, it was you. He's like, what? I'm like, you hit it with your arm and then it woke you up and you jumped up and there you, you know. You're the captain. You know, it was amazing. But you know, so many times we're living as if there's a a burglar in our house and we're perfectly safe. You know, we're, we're living under it and it's already been accomplished for us. Everything we need. We can't go rogue and do it for Jesus. He's already done it for us. Sometimes we're still trying to earn his favor. 
We're, we're trying so hard, like, please, please accept me. I love you. I think you're really good. I really, really want in, Lord. I really, really want in when we're already in. And it's just time to enjoy the blessings that are already ours. We're trying to qualify ourselves when we're already qualified through Jesus Christ. Sometimes we live just trying to survive the trials. We're treading water when Jesus has already gained a victory for us in every trial. This trial is going to pass and God's got a victory. As Joseph said in Genesis 50, 20, what Satan means for evil, God will use for his for glory and for life. Jesus is going to use these trials to develop in us that character, that hope, that perseverance that he wants. In so doing, he turns and transforms tribulations into classrooms. Also, we often don't reign in life because we do not realize how great God's love is for us. We don't understand the dimensions. I believe that's why Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 2 that we might know the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God for us. Because it's so wonderful, it's so great, it's so all-encompassing that sometimes we're like, no, 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 no. Lord, I know me. How could you possibly love me? But he does. He desperately loves us. And when we recognize that love of God for us, we are able to reign in life. We keep begging for acceptance and we put the responsibility on ourselves to hold on to Jesus. Have you ever felt like, I'm just holding on to Jesus? Like he's going off, off, you know, don't cling to me, off, off. Not realizing that he's holding our right hand saying unto us, fear not, I will help you. That he's holding on to us. I remember one time saying to the Lord, I'm just holding on to you. You probably don't want me, but I'm not letting go. You're stuck with me because I want you so bad. And the Lord said, Cheryl, don't you see? I've wrapped my arms around you and I'm not letting you go. Don't you see, dear sisters in Christ, he's wrapped his arms around you and he won't let you go? That trials, according to Hebrews chapter 12, are God's way of disciplining you and keeping you close to him, not of alienating you, not even of punishing you, but of showing you how desperately you need him so you won't leave him again. I've told you this story before, but I remember Char, my son, at three years old, loved to hear his name going out over the speaker at the market. Will the mother of Charlo Broderson please come to the front of the store? And every time I would see him, there'd be a huge smile. Like, <laughs> I don't know what he was trying to prove, but he said he just liked hearing the sound of his name. He felt famous. <laughs> I'm famous. They just announced to me at Lucky's again. And I had a friend that said, don't go immediately. Don't go. And I watched him sneak off this one time. And I held off going to get him, not because I wanted to punish him, well, a little bit, okay? And I, I waited and I waited till the tears welled up in his eyes. I felt like such a bad mother. They announced me three times to come get him, and I just waited. And he sat there with this smile, and I watched the smile fade. 
I watched big tears begin to go down his face. And I thought, all right, now's the time. And I went and I got him. And after that, he clung to me at the market. He would not let me go. He didn't like me leaving for one second. He still has abandonment issues to this day. (laughs) But you know, God only disciplines for our good. For our good. That, That we might cling to him. We do not fully realize all that Jesus accomplished on the cross. If we did, we would reign through life. The cross was not the ultimate defeat, but the ultimate victory. The cross emancipated us completely from condemnation, from wrath, from sin, from death, from bondage. The cross paid our debt completely and forever. And all we have to do to enter all these blessings that are ours is simply believe. Faith is the inroad to all the blessings that God wants for us. He wants to bless us. Faith's the way. Faith is the inroad to all God has for us. Faith is the inroad to all God has already accomplished for us. Faith is the way in. He qualifies us for all his blessings by faith. And what is faith? Faith is simply believing that God has done what he has done. How hard is that? He's already done it. All we have to do is say, wow, that was great. I believe it. Faith is simply believing what is true. What is true? That we, in our natural estate, we're sinners. Jesus was sinless. Jesus, the son of God, sent by God, offered his life up for our sins on the cross. Jesus rose again on the third day, proving that his sacrifice was accepted by God and we are truly forgiven of our sins. And Jesus now sits at the right hand of God, the most powerful seat in the entire universe, making intercession for us and allowing history to run its course. And then he will come back to rule and reign on this earth. How many of you believe that? Raise your hand. Okay, you're in. You're in. You're all in. And every blessing from here on is yours. You're in. You qualified. You are qualified to receive his favor and his blessings. Romans chapter 5 is the beginning of those blessings. In Romans chapter five, we start with the blessings. In Romans chapter six, he's gonna take a whole chapter to tell us how to appropriate those blessings that are already ours. Chapter seven, he's gonna talk about the frustration of trying to appropriate those blessings apart from Christ, how it's impossible. But then Romans eight brings us to the apex of the blessings that are ours through Christ Jesus. So what am I saying? I'm saying it only gets good from here on in. It only gets better and better, even as we said, much more, much more through the abundance of grace shall we reign in life. Romans 5 begins to open the door to all of the benefits and blessings that are ours simply because we believe. And what is the first blessing that Paul says? We have peace with God. We have peace with God through faith because we believe we have peace with God. We are no longer 
on opposing teams. God is no longer against us. You know, even as Christians, sometimes we think God is opposed to us. God is against us. I read of a woman that put rocks in her shoes so every step would be painful and thought that pleased God. No, God wants you to wear aerosols and have memory foam. God wants to make walking through life a blessing, not a curse. Our pain does not please God. What God says is, I don't want you to have pain. But since on earth you will have tribulation, that that's the way life on earth goes, I am going to take that pain and I'm going to redeem it and I'm going to bring purpose to it. But God is for our peace. He is on our side. And we're going to learn even more of that in Romans chapter 8 when Paul the apostle exclaims, if God be for us, who can be against us? God is for you today. He's on your side. He wants your absolute best. We have peace with God. God is the only source of peace. You will not find peace in this earth. You will not find peace. You might find pseudo peace. You know, they only said peace, man, in the 60s because they were smoking pot. And they were out of reality. Of course, it was medicinal, but they were still doing it. But God is the only source of peace. We're told in Hebrews 13, verse 20, now may the God of peace, he's the God of peace. He's the author of peace. He is the prince of peace. And then according to Philippians 4, 7, he gives us that peace that passes all understanding in exchange for our anxieties. Is that a great exchange? Here, God, I've got some more anxieties. I'd like some more peace. You know, it's like, It's like when we come back from England, we go and we exchange our pounds for dollars. So we take and we exchange our anxieties for that peace that passes all understanding. What a divine exchange. And I I love the fact that the peace that he gives us goes beyond. It goes beyond. It's an overcompensating peace. It, It more than fills the deficit. It more than gives us peace. It overflows. So those around us start feeling peaceful. That's the God of peace. About a year ago, some of you remember that. On July 5th, we had this beautiful granddaughter who was born. My first granddaughter. And that's just an amazing story because God told me before he told them that I was going to have a granddaughter at South Coast Plaza where I get so many of my messages. I was walking through the mall. Who doesn't get intimidated at South Coast Plaza, right? You're like, they know I can't afford this place. But I was in there and I said to the Lord, Lord, I just want a granddaughter. And all of a sudden when I said that, I knew that God was going to give me one. We get home and Char calls and he says, mom, guess what? I said, you're going to have a baby. It's my little girl. He said, you are so not fun. He said, but we don't know it's a girl. I said, I do. The Lord spoke to me at South Coast Plaza that he was giving me a baby girl. Now, I don't get these messages all the time, but when I do, I know when it's him. So then we go to get the, you know, she comes down, Grace, my daughter-in-law, to get the sonogram. And we go in there and I'm like, this is so unnecessary because I'm telling you, you're having a girl. We went in there and they said, it's a girl. And Grace's dad said, you know, they said that about Judah and he's a boy. And I said, but this time it is a girl. And he's like, yes, because of South Coast Plaza. But let's ask the lady. And the lady turns and she said, I'm 99.9% sure it's a girl. And I was just like, (laughs) 
you know, knew that already. And then she was born and she was absolutely beautiful and we FaceTimed her. And then we got a call. And the call was, there's something wrong with Evelyn. And uh, she's gonna be rushed um, to Stanford um, Hospital from Santa Rosa. And Char and Grace were in, um, right then they were signing the papers, the release forms. And little Evelyn had a transposition of the greater arteries and she needed um, surgery immediately. And when they got to Stanford, um, she was put on a waiting list and time was running out because she had a little hole in her heart. And as soon as that hole healed up and it was already healing up, she would smother to death from the bad oxygen because the, um, the arteries were transposed. So um, bad oxygen was pumping into the ventricle that was supposed to receive the good oxygen. And she was, she was gonna die. And it was a miracle that they caught it. It was a miracle that she got to the hospital. Well, um, Char sent out an email and he said, this is the song that keeps running through my heart and graces too. And we cannot explain the peace that God has given us, but we are knowing it and feeling it. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the, the cross of grief or pain. Leap to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Be still, my soul, when dearest friends depart, and all is darkened in the veil of tears. Thou, then shalt thou better know his love, his heart, who comes to soothe thy sorrow and thy fears. Be still, my soul, thy Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away. Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on, when we shall be forever with the Lord, when disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. Be still, my soul, begin the song of praise. On earth believing to thy Lord on high, acknowledge him in all thy words and ways. So shall he view thee with a well-pleased eye. Be still my soul, the sun of life divine, through passing clouds shall but more brightly shine. This is the song, the song that my son kept singing. And when the surgeon got an opening five days early and Evelyn went in for surgery, this is the song that he kept singing in his heart to the Lord. And when the doctor came out and said, that went very, very well, <laughs> this is still the peace, the peace that blessed and got them through.
When we got to see Evelyn, she was finished with her surgery with a huge scar across her little chest, hooked up to every type of apparatus I have ever seen. And I I remember um, they were worried because she kept sleeping. She wasn't alert enough. They couldn't turn down the oxygen. And so I was acting very brave. I went out into the waiting room, sent a text to every woman I know who prays. And they came and got me. They said, she's alert. She's so awake. She literally woke up right after I began to get the icons of the praying hands because my friends think I don't text. So then they don't send me words. They send me icons. They went in there. They, they said, we had to turn off the oxygen. She's breathing so fast on her own. She stayed alert for 30 minutes, just looking around the room like, who are you and where am I? And you want to tell me what just happened? Now that little thing is the bossiest little thing. We're praying that she'll stop beating up the children in the nursery. (laughs) She's got these two brothers who have never treated her like she had heart surgery. They're like, Evelyn, no. They slam the door in her face because they're boys, you know, and they have all these boys clubs. And so she goes, (laughs) she's 16 months. And then her mother will go, Evelyn, because her mom's just so pure. She's a little, you know, taken back because she wasn't raised in my family with my children. <laughs> and Evelyn looks at her mom and goes, <laughs> it's amazing. Be still, my soul. God's got this one covered, and that's the peace that he gives us, a peace that overcompensates for whatever we're going through. God speaks his peace to our restless soul, and there is calm. But we don't just have peace. Wouldn't that be good? If I just gave you the, you know, you've got peace. I think we go out like, peace. I've got peace. But there's more, like the Ronco commercial. There is more. We have got access to this grace in which we stand. We've got access to God's unmerited favor. We've got access to all that Jesus has accomplished. We have got God's blessings poured out on us. We have got bold access into the very throne room of grace at any time, 24-7. We can run into the very throne room of God and receive all the grace that we need. I mean, this is better than trick-or-treat. We go in there with our bags that are empty and we say, grace, 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 grace. I need grace. We can get as much. You know, I um, have these trick-or-treaters that open their bags. I give tracks too, but they open their bags and I, you know, put a candy in a track in and they keep their bag open. It's like, where did you come from? They're like, you got a lot of candy. You want to go home with it? You want to just keep that? No. Okay. You can have five. You know, I just, oh, fine. Take it. I don't like sugar anyway. Take more. You know, but... That's how we should be. Just go in there. I'm empty. Fill me up with grace. We have bold access to this grace. And this grace is the grace we stand. We're always encompassed by this grace. There's never a time that we're without this grace. Even when we're not in the realization of the grace, we're still standing. This is the grace that saved us. This is the grace that we live in. We are covered by grace. This grace is sufficiency for every and any deficiency I have. According to 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it is sufficient. It is mercy. It is undeserved. It is all the blessing that 
all the blessings that belong to Jesus, for being absolutely righteous, for being the very son of God, for always walking in obedience, all his blessings come to us because of this grace and all the promises of God we qualify for. Any and every promise that you find in the word of God, you qualify for through this grace. It is this grace in which we stand. But moving on, we also have purpose in tribulation. We have purpose. Paul says in verse three, and not only that, but we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And this hope does not disappoint. In the world, you're going to have tribulations. These are a given in life. It's gonna happen to everybody, but God says, you know what? Because it's a given, as long as you're on earth and you live in a, in a fallen world, I will do this. I will transform every trial into a lesson, a learning experience, and into a character builder. This is what the Lord does for us so that we are no longer defeated or overcome by difficulties, trials, or hard times. God transforms even our greatest difficulties into productivity. He makes them matter. He makes them count. Every difficulty, assault, persecution becomes purposeful. It produces in us. It means it works in us. It becomes counterproductive to the enemy. What does it produce? First of all, it produces perseverance, the ability to endure. It builds up our strength so we can keep moving forward. When um, I first started running, I don't like running, but when I first started running because a, a girl volunteered to run with Brian and that wasn't gonna happen on my watch. When I first started running, I would run around the block and I was so winded. That was, <gasps> it was so bad. But every day I pushed myself just a little bit more to build up that endurance. And you know, running is not pleasant to me. I, I do not like it. Those of you who do like it, more power to you. Be warmed and filled. But for me, it was just this thing of, I want to do this with Brian. And I would push myself. And you know, it was... I asked somebody, does it ever get pleasant? And they said, not really, but you get so you can do it. And that's what happens. You get so you can do it. It builds up our strength and our endurance so that we can run faster, we can run further, and we can run better. It builds perseverance for trials that we can make it through the next trial and the next trial. We persevere because we know that God is going to meet us at the end. I've been in something like this before, and God always comes through. That's what it does in us. It builds character. Character. We, we have more integrity. We have more authenticity. It builds a godly reputation in us. It builds that character that we're all wanting I find this really interesting. As I started out this message, I'm always tested on whatever I teach. So last Sunday at the end of the retreat, I lifted a log that I shouldn't, and I pulled a muscle in my back. And then the bed that um, we were out at the conference center teaching at the Bible college, four-hour block classes, and my back froze up on me so badly that I couldn't walk. I couldn't move. 
And I would say, all right, Lord, you know, you've got to get me to class. Those girls are waiting for me. And everything was so, so incredibly painful. And yet I knew I was teaching on this passage. And I was going to tell you all that trials are really for your good. But I had to live it. You know, it's one thing to say to somebody who's going through a hard trial, all things work together. This is going to turn out so good. And they're looking at you like, can I slap you right now or do I have to wait? And, you know, it was like this, okay, Lord, I know you're building perseverance in me. And I know I can't get out of this Bible class, nor do I want to, because those little girls that I'm teaching are so adorable and so hungry. You don't know what it's like to look out at this class. I was teaching a class on how to, how to teach the Bible. And there they are. They're taking notes on, on things I'm just throwing at them. Like, and, you know, this is the reason we're doing this. And they're taking, I'm like, you don't have to take a note on that. And they're like, but we want to. Okay. They were so adorable. And four hours of on my feet and walking to the desks and praying with these girls and I don't know how God did it, but he sustained me through all the classes. You know, I would get out of class and I couldn't move. It would hurt so bad, but I had the strength for each class. And I'm telling you, I loved those girls so much. It was like amazing what God did. And then in my personal devotions, I'm in James. James 1, 2. Count it all joy. I mean, it's like, James, can't you work into this? Do you have to start out with this? Can't you tell us, you know, some, some things about God first before you tell us that trials are actually good? Please give me some time to adjust to the whole thing. But you know, when you go through these things, it builds endurance, it builds character, and it builds hope. And I kept thinking, all right, Lord, my hope, my, my trust in you. You said those that trust in you will never be ashamed. You say here in James, I can count it all joy because you are working in me patience and I need to let this patience, this endurance have its perfect work in me that I might mature spiritually, that I might have that character of Jesus. At the end of class, this girl says to me, you know what spoke to me more than anything else? That you came to us in pain and you taught us. That means you must really care about us. I, I was like, I do. I do. So it was like, wow. You know, I'm teaching a lesson that's not in my syllabus. You know, God wants to use our trials for productivity. He doesn't mean them to stop us, to keep us uh, from doing and being all that he's called us to be. He wants to work purpose into them. And finally, hope. What is hope? It's a constant expectation in Jesus. It's unwavering trust that God, when we give him this trial, is going to do something good with it. It's, it's that faith, that hope that can be passed out to others. Because we can say, I went through this, and this is what God did. You're in a similar circumstance, and I know God's going to meet you there because it looks so much like what I've just been through. And God never fails. Jesus never fails. It's a faith that we can pass on to our children. One of my favorite things is my dad would only talk when he was busy doing things. So um, he liked to do dishes, and so did I. 
so do I. And so I would go in the kitchen and we would do dishes together every Thanksgiving and every Christmas. And it was when he was either making cinnamon rolls or doing dishes, dad would start talking and he would talk about the faith stories. He would talk about all the things as a little kid that would happen. You know, how his dad would invite these ex-convicts over um, to dinner and they would talk about the saving grace of the Lord in their lives. He would talk about the time that they lived in the back of the church in Prescott, Arizona, and they only got $15 a week and they didn't have... um, a shower. And so they would go to the front of the church to use the bathrooms when they needed it. And then they would go to this um, couple's house in their church to take their showers every night. And how that was some of the best times of their marriage. And he would just tell me these incredible stories. The story about how his dad, who was in a catatonic condition because of a nervous breakdown, for over a year, one day, this Prince Marthandan who was um, an Indian man uh, from India who was rejected by his parents because he received the gospel of Jesus Christ, moved to the United States, had given his testimony at their church. And um, when my grandpa and my, was healthy, my grandmother and grandpa had had him over for dinner. And you know, it was a one-off. And two years later, Prince Marthunden is driving through Ventura when the Lord says, I want you to go to Brother Smith's house and pray for him. And he said, all right. He went to Brother Smith's house, which was my grandpa's house, knocked on the door. And my grandmother said, Prince Marthunden, what are you doing? He said, I'm here because the Lord told me to come here and pray for your husband. And she, without a word, led him into the room where my grandpa was there in this catatonic um, condition. He laid hands on and he prayed for him. And instantly my grandpa said, well, Prince Marthondon, what in the world are you doing here in Ventura? Instantly healed. Those were my stories of faith. I tell them, obviously. My stories of faith. You know, the other day my daughter was going through something. My daughter, Kristen, she's in her 30s. And she said, mom, I know God's gonna come through because I remember the time he gave me back my strawberry shortcake sandals. I'm like, what? I mean, When we lived in Vista, Kristen was forever taking off her shoes when we were shopping. And this one day, she had taken off her favorite shoes, which were strawberry shortcake, and lost them somewhere in the mall. And I said to her, it's over. Those shoes are gone, gone, gone. And she said, no, they're not. I'm going to pray. She's four years old. And she prays that God would give her back her strawberry shortcake sandals. I was not praying in faith. I was like, you don't have to, because she got herself into this. That was my thoughts as she's praying. I wasn't like, oh, isn't that cute? God, please come through and build her faith. I was like, no, you don't have to. She needs discipline. This is consequential. This is good stuff. She lost them. They're gone. Shouldn't have taken them off. So what happens? I decided I hadn't even been in JCPenney's. And we're, I'm, I'm like going to go straight to the car. And she's like, mommy, please ask. And I'm like, okay. So I go, um, you didn't happen to find any strawberry shortcake sandals, did you? And the girl says, yes, we found one but it was out in the mall, but we brought it in. So there's one. And Chris is going, see, Jesus loves me. And I said, honey, it's only one. (laughs) I went out to our car a different way than I had come into the mall because now I'm going out through JCPenney's. I looked down and there's the other strawberry shortcake sandal. And what did that little thing do? 
That four-year-old, Jesus loves me, Mommy. He gave me back my strawberry shortcake sandals. And I'm like, Jesus loves you, and you've got a naughty Mommy. (laughs) Even when I was faithless, he did it. Oh, he's so good. And do you know she made me sing praise songs with her all the way home? And to this day, in her 30s, she remembers those strawberry shortcake sandals. And I think they were from Payless. I mean, it's like they weren't even of value, but God knows. He wants to give us stories of faith. And he does it through, get this, tribulations, trials, deficits, difficulties, obstacles. Because he wants us to reign over them. And he wants to give us a testimony through them. So he brings productivity. But next, we have confidence and security in God's love. This helps us to reign in life. When you know you're loved, you walk differently, you talk differently. You know, when you're not sure you're loved, you get a little envious, you get a little competitive, you get really insecure. And insecurities do not enhance our beauty or our attitudes, do they? When we're insecure, we get like, I I don't know if you should do that. I don't feel good about it. You know, panic is never a a pretty thing on a woman. You know, when we're panicked, we're not pretty. And and we get very controlling. I know this. And you want to know how I know this? Because I'm a woman. We get very controlling, don't we? You know, when I think Brian is not paying attention to the road, I try to drive from the passenger seat. Actually, wherever I am in the car, I'm trying to drive. Because, you know, I'm, I'm insecure about how he's driving. And my insecurities are not pretty. They, they make me um, talk a little uh, tougher. I get a little militant. I get a little mean. Because I want him to do what I'm saying. And he doesn't, he doesn't obey my sweet voice. Oh, Brian, turn here. He's like, were you talking? Yes, I was. And you missed the turn, you know? But that's how we get with our insecurities. We need to be secure in the love of the Lord. And Paul gives us two reasons we can be secure in the love of the Lord. He says, one, because the Holy Spirit is reminding us constantly in our hearts that we are loved, we are loved, we are loved. And if we will just be still and listen, you will hear you are loved. You are loved. He bears witness with our spirits, according to 1 John, that we are the children of God. Then there's the demonstration of God's love. The cross is a continual reminder of the greatness of God's love for us. He was desperate to save us. And he sent Christ to die for us when we were still sinners, rebels from God, when we were disinterested in being saved, when we were without strength to even save ourselves. He didn't die for us because we were seeking his favor. He didn't die for us because we were pleading for mercy. He didn't die for us because we were being so good. He died for us when we were rebels from him, when we were alienated, and again, when we were disinterested. 
Paul puts it this way in verses seven, eight, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is love. You know, I was, I was telling um, the women in leadership that I know Brian loves me because when we were dating, I was going through the ugly Cheryl time and I was uglifying myself on purpose. And the reason why is because I was doing that kind of weird self-righteous thing. When I was in college, I didn't want to date anymore. I didn't want to look attractive to anybody. So I decided to grow my eyebrows in, which look kind of like Groucho Marx when I do that. I decided to grow those in. I decided to wear no makeup and just to do nothing with my hair just to let it go, you know, just let it hang, not dreadlocks, I washed it. But you know, just my hair was naturally curly and I used to straighten it and I'm like, I'm not doing it anymore. And I gained a lot of weight and I thought I'm not gonna diet, this is who I am and I'm here to get an education and not to attract men. And I was very successful in that. (laughs) Until Brian Broderson came along and he asked me out and I'm like, I've got two really beautiful friends. Don't you want to ask one of them out? You know, look, that one's really thin. That one's thin and blonde and plays the guitar. You don't want me. And he's like, no, no, I I like you. And he didn't know I was Chuck Smith's daughter. He liked me before that. And then this friend comes up to him and goes, did you know you were talking to Chuck Smith's daughter? Brian goes, oh. And I went, oh, because I was bratty too. I had to, you know, repel in any way I could. And he fell in love with me at that time. And not to dislike Brian, but I'm going to tell you this. Because Brian one day looked at my legs and said, those are pretty big. And they were. (laughs) He said, do you think there's any way that you could lose weight in those legs? We're dating, right? I said, I'm not sure. He said, I've just never dated anybody with legs that big before. (laughs) And I said, well... I don't know that I could ever lose weight in them. And these are my legs and they work really well for me. And, you know, live with it. And he goes, you know what? I still love you. I still want to marry you. I'm like, oh yeah, big legs and all. Great. So I have to be honest. I've never truly forgiven him or let go completely. Because I get really excited when he gets a little tummy and, I'm, and he's like, oh, this tummy. I'm like, big legs, big legs, big legs. I don't know why I do that, but... You know, somebody, sometimes people say, oh, you're kind of like hard on him about his weight. I'm like, no, I'm not. Big legs. There's a reason for that. (laughs) He's going to pay throughout the rest of our marriage from that comment he made. And then after I married him, I started putting on makeup. I think he was really blessed then. I mean, that's when the grace started coming in. You marry me, you get the better package. But you know, God loved us when we were still without makeup, when our legs were big. And we had no hope of ever losing weight in our life. God loved us. Don't look now. I should have worn a long skirt. I knew it. You're all going, did she lose them or is that? No, they were bigger. I know you. I'm one of you. I would be doing the same thing. Darn this podium. I wish it had a curtain on it. Finally, we have the ultimate victory through Christ, what he has accomplished. Often we forget or we don't realize how bad our situation was before Christ. We often hear those testimonies, which almost sound like Jesus is a condescension from where someone might have been. Oh, but that's not the truth. 
Without Christ, we were sold in slavery by the first Adam. We were all sinners. Adam did act for us as the federal head, but we were all in Adam. We all would have done the same thing because he's the father of us all. And when he sinned, he sinned for all of us. He represented all men. Again, we were all in Adam. We're all descended from his gene pool, and we all have the same propensity for sin. His sin resulted in putting everyone under him under the penalty of death. When a man, um, a man would sell himself into slavery in order to pay off a debt in Bible times. And that's how most men became slaves. They owed a debt they couldn't repay, so they would sell their services and their lives. And any children that they had as a slave became the property of their master. They couldn't even claim their um, progenity or whatever. They couldn't claim their, their, their children. They couldn't claim that. And so Adam sinned, and all the children, we his children, were born under sin, into slavery. Adam took from the tree. He not only disobeyed because God said, don't eat of it, but God said this in the garden. He said, Adam, every tree is yours, but I own this one. This is my tree, and you're not to partake of my tree. So Adam did not just disobey, but he also stole. He stole from the tree that only belongs to God. And isn't that what every man has tried to do since? Has tried to steal what belongs to God alone? We've tried to steal property and the earth. We, we've uh, tried to you know, claim our own bodies as belonging to ourselves. We've all become indebted to God but Jesus, as the second Adam, you see, the Bible only identifies two men because only two men were born without a sin nature. The first Adam, but he gave way to sin. And Jesus, whose bloodline came from his father, not from his mother. He was born without a sin nature. Adam gave in to his sin. But Jesus resisted sin, according to Hebrews 12, 3 and 4, to the shedding of blood. And we see that resistance of sin in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he saw what it was going to take to redeem you and me to save us, he saw the dark abyss of separation from God, which no man has ever felt. That deep, deep, dark abyss. And he felt the pressure of all hell against him. And he resisted that pressure to the shedding of blood. He sweat as it were great drops of blood. You see, it's one thing to take that cup when you don't know what that cup is and you don't know what the consequences are. But Jesus saw the full consequences of what he needed to do. He knew what the wrath of God would look like. He got a foretaste in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he resisted the urge to turn from that. And he drank the cup of God's wrath that we would never, ever, ever experience the wrath of God. Jesus did for us what we could never, ever do 
for ourselves. Jesus gave to the tree. He did not take from the tree. He put his life on the tree and gave to the tree. Adam's unrighteous act resulted in sin and death. Even though sin was not identified till the law, sin was still killing people. They didn't identify cancer until the the 20th century. And yet, cancer had been killing people for thousands of years, but it had never been identified as cancer, as the agency. The same thing with the law and sin. Sin had been killing people for years, but was not identified as the agency that was bringing death until the law. It gave the prognosis and said, this is what, why you're dying. And the only way you can keep from dying is to stop sinning. But no man could stop sinning. But Jesus' righteous act resulted in justification, according to verse 9, 16, and 18 of Romans chapter 5. It justified us. It qualified us. It declared us righteous. It saved us from the wrath of God, according to verse 9. According to verse 10, Jesus' righteous act gave us reconciliation with God. According to verse 10, it also gave us salvation. According to verse 11, it gave us joy and rejoicing. And according to verses 15, 17, 20, and 21, not only did it give us forgiveness of sin, but it gave us much more grace, gift of grace, abounding grace, abundance of grace. It gave us unlimited, unhindered, never decreasing, always increasing grace. This grace in which we stand. And by this grace, we can reign over life. And it gave us the gift of righteousness, according to verse 17. And it gave us victory, 17 and 21, throughout this life. We are meant to reign in life through Christ Jesus. He secured our access into this abounding, bountiful, abundant, unlimited grace in which we stand. Faith opens the door to peace with God and the peace of God, to access into all we need through grace. Peace gives us, faith gives us purpose and productivity in every difficulty so that every trial that comes is a win-win situation. Faith gives us assurance of God's unfailing love through the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of the cross. And faith gives us victory in life because Jesus Christ has been absolutely victorious in the cross. It's time to reign in life. It's time to take what Christ has given us through faith and begin to live it out. Don't let life reign over you. Reign over life. Reign in life through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, here's my sisters. And you know, Satan has been lying to all of us, saying you're under it. You'll never get through it. It's not enough. You're not enough. But Lord, we are not enough, but you are more than enough. And what you've done is more than enough. And Lord, we want 
We want to access what is already ours through faith. Lord, we want that peace that passes understanding. We want to throw our anxieties upon you and receive that peace. Lord, we want that grace. We want to be um, in recognition constantly of the grace in which we stand, that you want to bless us and you are pouring out blessings. Lord, we want to look at our trials with a new perspective, that they are producing in us glorious things, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to live in the security of your love, what you have shown by the cross. We want to hear the Holy Spirit whispering, even shouting to us, Lord, that you love us and giving us that constant assurance of love. And Lord, we want to live in the victory that you accomplished on the cross, Lord, that you gave to the tree, that you paid the price, that it's already been paid. There's nothing we can add to it. Lord, we want to reign in this life and then live eternally with you. And we want to live in that glorious reality. And we pray that you would make the reality that is by Jesus Christ, the reality that lives in our minds and hearts constantly. We ask for this grace in Jesus' name. Amen.